This is exactly right. Forgive me for interrupting. I'm Bridger Weiniger, host of I Said No Gifts on Exactly Right. Each week, I invite my favorite people in comedy over to chat, and they always bring a gift. We're coming up on our 200th episode, and every episode is a gem. I have welcomed all kinds of great guests, including Cola Scola, Bowen Yang, Robbie Hoffman. It goes on and on and on. And you don't want to miss the 200th episode with the great Maria Bamford. What does she bring me? Find out April 25th. New episodes every Thursday. Follow I Said No Gifts wherever you get your podcasts. We may not all have the ability to find kids just like ourselves, but we can connect even if we're completely different so that kids can just connect because they realize they can feel the same way. I'm so grateful for, you know, not only founding the organization, but that it's much bigger than my family's story. Welcome to Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan. I'm your host, Dr. Dan. This show is about making the world a more loving, accepting, and compassionate place, one parent, one person, and one child at a time. The key to raising healthy and engaged kids is for us parents to seek the same in our own lives while striving to be the best versions of ourselves each day. No matter who you are or where you came from, with increased awareness, you can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint for your children, your family, and all those you care about while living your own life to the fullest. Today's show is a very special show for a few reasons. It is our 200th episode of Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan, and we have the most amazing guest for this celebratory milestone Our show is called Born Extraordinary, Empowering Children with Differences and Disabilities with Meg Zucker. Meg is the founder and president of Don't Hide It, Flaunt It, a 501c3 nonprofit with the mission of advancing understanding and mutual respect for people's differences. A graduate of University of Wisconsin-Madison and New York University School of Law, she is also a managing director and U.S. head of anti-money laundering and financial crime at the Royal Bank of Canada. She is the author of her new book, Born Extraordinary, Empowering Children with Differences and Disabilities, where she shows parents how best to empower their children to confront others' assumptions, grow in confidence, and encourage dialogue rather than silence fear and shame around difference. Meg, welcome to the show. Thank you. I really am so grateful to be here. Really looking forward to the chat. So you have a story, a powerful story that I now know about since I read your wonderful book, (laughs) but I would love for you to tell your story to our listeners of how your nonprofit, your book, and um, outside of your very important legal work, your life's mission came to be. Sure, absolutely. So uh, I was born with a genetic condition called ectradactyly, uh, and it left me, which is always hard on any type of video to demonstrate, but one finger on each hand, shortened forearms, and one toe on each foot. 
And in fact, I was the first, not the last, we'll talk about that, but definitely the first of my family, my relatives, anyone born um, with my condition. In fact, I didn't even know, and the doctors didn't even know that my condition had a medical term. And I know I I'm sort of aging myself. I like to say ectrodactyly, which is the term, sounds like a dinosaur. But as I get older, I kind of feel like a dinosaur. <laughs> so anyway, um, I did learn about it when I was applying to law school. And the, the um, doctor wrote that word down. I'm like, what's that? But all it meant really was ectrodactyly means missing digits. It's a mm. Greek term. And mm -hmm. so that's something that I already knew um, I, that I was missing digits. Um, and so you know, when I was uh, growing up, uh, my parents did the best thing ever, uh, which was not be overprotective. In fact, they really empowered me to just, you know, sort of live in my own version of normal, capable of doing anything within my means and letting me explore that. And that was such a gift from them. And because they were like that, not only did my brothers take their lead, but people around them, you know, followed suit. And that really led me to just believe everything might not be possible, although a lot of things were possible. Mm -hmm. um, everything might not be possible, but quite frankly, worth trying. So I'll just pause there and I can talk in it. Yes. You'd like. Um, your parents were extraordinary parents from what I read. I mean, the so affirming and um there's this a, a really uh tender moment that you talk about when you were upset as a child which actually you seem like you had a very positive disposition and your dad in this one moment how your dad found this balance of empathy compassion and um all right time to move on like you know, it's your choice. It's your choice how you view these situations and how you react to people. So let's go. It was just uh, such a, I, it, it, I just found it um, so affirming and um, inspiring as a parent. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that you highlight that because of course, as a kid um, and until I I experienced life as a parent um, right. and in fact, parent of, of kids that share my condition, which we'll talk about, mm -hmm. I'm sure more, but just focusing on my parents, it never occurred to me the level of strength it took for my parents to um, guide me in the way they were doing and, and hold back. I mean, look, if your kid's upset and I, you know, it's not that I, um, I really do have a very outgoing um, disposition. And so, mm -hmm. um, because of that, my nature wanted to be happy and go lucky and everything. But when the world is sort of looking at you, like you're, you know, they should stare at you as if you're, you know, a fish in a bowl kind of thing, mm -hmm. it's really hard. And so ever so often I would feel, um, just a really, uh, I guess, self pity, mm -hmm. you know, and, and it's not surprising because there's so many people around me that were, offering pity. So of course, if people are going to pity me, just taking one look at me, then at some point, even with my personality as it, as it always has been, um, you know, I would turn to my parents and that example is a great one. Cause my dad, um, you know, I, I can tell even with my own children, you know, when your kid's upset, I mean, oh my gosh, you know, it feels, it feels so much harder than even if you're experiencing it yourself and to own almost resist and not 
let me wallow in it and say, mm-hmm. okay, you've had your moment, as you said. Um, it was it, it took strength, but I didn't know he was making that effort behind the scenes. I just was benefiting from that incredible inner strength that they mm-hmm. both had. Mm-hmm. Um, we are going to work up, of course, to um, your growing up and your kids. But part of your growing up, uh, such another powerful moment was um so you're living um overseas in the middle east and you lo and behold um your nanny is the friend is friends with the um not yet prime minister golda Meir of israel oh no but- it was my suit it was so that was a different story so in afghanistan um i had a nanny that i talked about but when we were living in Israel, my, um, I guess it was like the super, the woman that like took care of the building, her best friend, um, oh, got was it. Okay. Prime Minister of Israel. If that's what you're focused yes, on. That's exactly what I'm trying to get to. That's the essential yeah. part of this. And yeah. she, I mean, what an amazing woman, those of us who knew her career, um, was for her. She whispers in your ear, you are enough as you are this little girl playing outside. I mean, what was that like? Um, you know, it was, it was startling for various reasons. First, because I was so, so we moved to Iran when I was one, I'll just start there and then would country hop essentially because of my father's um, profession. And so um, when we got to Israel and I was still quite young, I was just like a sponge, just like kids are with languages. And so by then I was, I had, you know, actually my first words were in Farsi, um, mm. not even in English. And then, um, of course I spoke English, but then in Israel, um, I was fluent in, in Hebrew. And so most people that would approach me anyway, weren't speaking English. So, you know, here was someone who was Israeli. I had no idea about her role or her position. And she just happened to be best friends with um, this woman, Regina, who was our our landlady or, or you know, I guess that's their super. Um, but when she said it, she said it in English. So she must have understood or appreciated that I was American. So I was kind of first startled that she was speaking English to me. But it was her words it was sort of that moment, you know, usually as a kid, you're not really focused on deep moments <laughs> <laughs> right. People are offering you a message. But in that moment, and I share this in the book, um, you know, it was really th- the first time a stranger, not people that knew me, but a stranger um, regarded me as something, you know, more than curiosity, stares, pity, you know, fear, whatever the case may be, because all of that was always happening. But for someone to look at me and give me positivity and also re I guess it was sort of reassurance is what she was trying to do. Um, and it was, um, I would say it was pretty momentous and that's why I included in the book because it was Mm -hmm. that pivotal moment. And I'll say one more thing, which I think is really important. You know, when a kid is different, um, you mature a lot faster. And so do siblings of kids that are different, right? The maturity level is increased because, you know, most kids that are four or five don't have to have these really deep moments in their life. Mm-hmm. Um, they eventually get there and evolve. Um, and some do, of course, it depends. But um, I think that uh, that one was just the sort of kicker to this recognition and realization of Wow, there's there's people in that that are going to be surrounding me that can, besides my parents, support me in different ways. Even if I I meet them in a you know in a mm-hmm. in a moment. Mm-hmm. 
Well, and, you know, later you found, much later, Don't Hide It, Flaunt It, related to your life and your kids' lives. And through the story, the hiding our differences, the hiding of your fingers in your pockets, that is the most natural... Unfor- I mean, like, unfortunately, societally natural thing that everyone does, especially when we're growing up and we're going through childhood, adolescence, um, young adulthood, we're all trying to fit in. We're all trying, I mean, maybe that's an overstatement. We're socialized to fit in, to look and act a certain way, not standing out generally doesn't give you positive stuff when you're growing up. There's often a lot of negative kickback. And so how did that start? Where were there moments in your childhood and your growing up where you, outside of the home, felt started to feel more comfortable not hiding? Yeah, I mean, it's such an interesting point because we're also talking about, you know, what comes to mind is someone who I knew as an adolescent who had alopecia, but she got right. it when she was 12, mm-hmm. right? So there are things that happen and all you want to do is hide because it's something that you haven't had, you know, any, any type of time period or maturity. That's back to the maturity thing, right? So your, mm-hmm. your level of being able to manage something that's so difficult when it happens to you later, um, even though the, the book is called Born Extraordinary, we do cover things, not just kids born, but, you know, things that happen along the way. Mm-hmm. So, um, so in, in terms of, um, how outside the home, I should tell you, and it's probably really based on the fact that my parents did really encourage me to, I I, I guess I'll say nurture my personality. Mm -hmm. So certainly in school with friends, I mean, if anybody is watching this podcast that grew up with me, they'd be like, what are you talking about, Meg? You weren't heading your hands and, and, and we just thought you were hilarious, you know, or whatever. I wasn't right. that funny. Yeah. My son Charlie would tell you I'm not funny at all, but, but what <laughs> I will say, but, but it's actually kind of funny because, um, I'm, I say that because he's into comedy. Sorry, I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> not just you're being a mom, just a not yeah, funny yeah, mom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it really was sort of, so I think I have to sort of take what you're asking and take it past the friends, past mm-hmm. the social comfort. Certainly when I was living abroad, um, you know, I, was, I, I wasn't what my boys actually had, um, our sons, which was, growing up in the same town, you know, most of their lives. So that really in and of itself forced me into a really um, uncomfortable experience constantly because I, all I wanted to do was just feel like I did at home and feel like I was with my friends. And so growing up, um, you know, when I guess we came back um, at the end of middle school and I was getting, you know, obviously maturing anyway, um, but uh, it took a long time. I mean, I would I would tell you that when I uh, first signed with my literary agent, Lisa, she's like, Meg, look at all these pictures of you. You're hiding your hands and you're like in college. What is going on? And I didn't. And it was interesting for me because I'd like to tell you that there was this one moment, but I really think it was because I love um I love being social. I love people. I love hearing people's stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and so by nature, I am just a very curious person. And 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 I think I was frustrated because 
I wanted opportunities to just have people get to know me first. And so part of the hiding as I got older was not not in the same type of like kid shame, like, oh my mm-hmm. God, a kid is going to point, but it evolved to much more of that sort of exposure to people. I'm like, well, I just, I just want them to get to know me or quite frankly, in, even in the dating world, like I just, right. in my first, in my first, uh, you know, few days in Madison, um, and actually this person, I ended up being my boyfriend, but I, I was on an entire date holding my hands, even in the movie theater, I wouldn't let him touch my hands because I, I was like, maybe he'll just like me for me and then we can deal with that. Mm-hmm. So that was a mm-hmm. very long answer. I hope I was well, and I, Yeah. I and, and, it, and I, it, um, it takes me to, um, reading the piece you wrote last year, uh, re- related to hide it. Um, don't hide it, flaunt it with your husband, meeting your husband and connecting through a mutual friend, right? Having those same questions, right? It's almost like I, on the one hand, there's the, I don't want to be judged. I'm imagining. And on the other hand, it's like kind of a test. Like, could you see me for me? Right. Can you, could you, do you want me for me, not for these other physical features? Oh, a hundred percent. And it was also, um, you know, it's funny you mentioned my husband cause we were engaged in nine months. I mean, it went, it was fast. Right. But, um, but one thing I'll tell you is, um, you know, when we met, um, immediate connection, it was, I'm Jewish in synagogue on Colney Dre, it was re- in, which is Yom Kippur. I mean, the most solemn yep. You know, yep. time of the year, and and we really connected. And I, I think it was one of uh, maybe the second or third phone call when we started talking. And uh, this is going to date how long it's been that we've been together. But Seinfeld was on, and there was this. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. He was talking about a funny episode where George Costanza was talking about having hand or something like that. And he's talking about it and laughing. He, and then he stops. He's like, oh my gosh, did I just offend you? Like, I'm like, what? What are you talking about? And and then I realized what he meant. And then mm. I realized, wow, he doesn't really know me as that well. Because once he gets to know me, he'll know, I just want my life with people surrounding me that I... I don't think about my difference and therefore I don't want our relationship or whether it's, you know, dating, marriage, friendship, I don't want Mm -hmm. it to actually, I mean, it can come up, but I don't want it to come up so that people are walking on Mm eggshells because that's not a natural relationship in any way of that, you know, part of that. Right. Right. Um, I'm thinking about different words that I want to talk about because words mean so much. But before we go to the words, um, as you teach us in your book about the importance of words and how we uh, think about things, let's let is let's bring in your kids, right? Because it's one thing to live your own life with difference, a complete other thing to be a parent of kids with difference, even when you have the same differences. Which yeah, I know from my family as well. Um, which I'd love to hear about. Um, yeah. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. I know you're doing me, but anytime. Happy um, to share. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's interesting. Um, yeah, so um, I will, and I, I did cover this in the book because um, I, my great, well, my first greatest fear is that I would never get married. I really wanted to get married and I never thought that anybody would really want to commit to me. Um, because, um, you know, now I joke with my husband of all the women in the world and you chose me, you know, it's, it's kind of Mm -hmm. a joke of ours, but, but truly like 
why in my head, why would anyone choose someone that is imperfect? And I hadn't, you know, I talk about, or I write about in the book, that notion of perfection anyway. Mm -hmm. um, but after that, after I found, you know, the love of my life and we get married, my, my greatest fear that had already been kind of brewing is I cannot have any, my children cannot be born like me because if they are, then they'll blame me and I'll blame myself for every single time someone says something or stares or dumb, I'm just going to feel it in spades. And so therefore I didn't want it to happen. Um, and of course, um, uh, that saying you plan God laughs, la la la. Yep. I mean, yeah. I, so we, we had Ethan, um, and it was interesting and I, I don't go into it in detail. Um, but I will tell you, um, beyond the book, um, I had had two miscarriages, an ectopic pregnancy. Mm. I lost a fallopian tube. And I, I, I joke about that because I'm like one finger, one tube, it gets the job <laughs> done, you know, that kind of thing. But I, <laughs> but I, but I, I, you know, after I, the reason I wanted to raise that to you is I think it was, um, it, it, you know, no one can choose what their children, you know, what's going to happen, but I so desperately wanted to be a parent and it was so hard to be a parent. It wasn't this easy thing for, mm -hmm. for me biologically at that point, forget genetics. And so, um, at least these, this genetics. So, mm -hmm. um, so by the time we were pregnant with Ethan, um, I was so happy and grateful and, and determined to believe that he wasn't, and, 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 and you've read the book. So, you know, I went to many lengths, which I guess mm -hmm. people can read about unless you want to talk about to make certain, you know, hope, uh, not certain, but I was hoping um, beyond hope that Ethan, uh, our son, our first, or any of our children wouldn't be born with my condition. Um, your, but, empath, your empath was half right, if I recall. About, yeah. Right. It was right about the kids that you would have, but not about the condition. Right. Right. And so it was one of those, it was, it was really a, a um, it was a dark time for me and it wasn't dark professionally. I was thriving professionally, but you know, when, when we got pregnant with Ethan and I saw that he had, he was literally the limb marriage uh, image of me from a limb perspective, um, limb difference. Um, I, um, you know, my greatest fear had been realized. Um, and it was, um, it shouldn't have been a shock, but it still was a shock. And I, you know, I was a mess and my incredible hu husband, John, of course, was like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> like you are, you are so fortunate. You have had this wonderful blessed life and he will too. And we get to be his parents and, you hmm. know, how lucky are we and all that kind of stuff. And so my husband really set that tone for me and having Ethan. And, you know, sometimes I think about my own parents because I have an older brother and a younger brother. Um, and despite having me physical, diff physically different me, they went ahead and had my brother, Ted, who didn't share my condition. But later on, after we had Ethan, it occurred to me, I'm like, huh, probably the best one of the best ways to reflect on their full acceptance of me, no matter what, was going ahead and having another kid mm -hmm. because they knew, you know, or especially back then, they, they had no idea. Yeah, they didn't know. Right. Yeah. yeah. Talk about shock. They really were yeah. in shock. Um, so after we had Ethan, you know, and having Charlie, it 
to me was, and, and our daughter Savannah doesn't have our difference, but she was adopted from birth. So she wasn't probably going to have it, um, and doesn't, but you know, um, physical difference, but, but it was a, a really interesting moment where, um, after having Ethan, I had appreciated and realized and come to that sort of headspace that I was so blessed to be a mother and, and that, you know, every, and I started understanding more things like speaking to other parents, other parents of kids who had different differences and maybe no differences, but the parents were stressed out anyway, you know, mm -hmm. no matter what. Right. So, so I started, um, kind of really, really growing in that moment. And then had another child. You mean after? You yes. Mean after yes. Then we had yes. Charlie. You're right. So, yeah. yeah. So let's finish the family story so everyone gets oh, the full sorry. picture. <laughs> yes. Yes. Sorry. Um. Yes. Yeah. So we had Charlie, and and Charlie was born um, just under three years after Ethan. Charlie has two fingers on each hand. One. Uh. No, not one. Two fingers on each hand. Two toes on each foot, like Ethan does. So we're all kind of a hodgepodge of digits. Mm -hmm. Um. And as I describe in the book. A total, even though most people, three people would have, you know, uh, you know, 10, you know, 10 fingers, 10 toes and all that. Well, we have 18 digits combined fingers and toads among toes, among not toads, among the three of <laughs> yes. us. Yeah. So, yeah. After yeah. Charlie was born, it was really funny. Um, when we saw the extra fingers in the sonogram, I was like, I didn't want any of that. I was like, what? No. Yeah. I can right. do one finger, I can right. do five fingers <laughs> in each hand, but what is this two finger? What am I going to do with this? And we don't want a different difference. Right. No different differences. <laughs> yes. yeah. What are you doing? Yeah. My husband likes to joke he has three teeth on the bottom instead of four, and he's like, Meg, we roll with the punches. What do you want? <laughs> like, <laughs> so talk about affirming and talk about all in and embracing, um, which ultimately um, becomes don't hide it, flaunt it, right? Just like bring it like the, as you say, the greatest form of acceptance is showing literally who you are. Yeah, absolutely. Um, happy to talk about don't hide it, flaunt it. Would you like me to, I mean, whatever path um, of that. Let's go, let's, let's, I, let's circle back to that because I want to, on the way to that, I want to talk about these words, which, oh, yeah. um, I pulled out a few of them. Of course, it's not, the first one's on the title, and I deal with this every day um, in my work, in my practice. And then also, our our difference, invisible difference, is um, dyslexia. And so, having being someone who grew up with it without really understanding what that was, and then having kids with it, when I'm an expert in it professionally and have it and parenting and then raising it. I just know it gets really complicated really quickly when you're trying to hold your own experience, your concern about your child's experience. It's, um, it's a lot. So thank you for sharing that with me. I mean, that's, that's the stuff that I didn't get when I was little. I always, you know, looked at these sort of physically perfect, everybody except for myself and just f felt like, especially back then I'm dating myself again, pre-internet and all that kind of stuff, you know? So thank you for sharing that. Cause that, yeah. that was one of the things that helped always to, you know, the invisible differences and in people's willingness to share. And mm -hmm. also for my sons have, have, you know, have always sort of helped, helped along the way. But anyway, you were going to yeah, talk. Yeah. Well, about and, and so 
because you do talk about those in the book too, and yeah. your daughter has some different visible Absolutely. differences, right? And I just yeah. think where it's important to bring all this together is that invisible differences are not all are are often invisible. So physical differences are often more you see them more when they're physical. When they're invisible, they're seen in certain situations that can be really awful, like being called out in front of the class, having to read in front of the class, having people hold up your work that no one could read and that you can't spell. You know, And so where I'm going with this is physical differences and disabilities, which I'm, we're going to go to those words, and um, invisible ones, they all have the potential to leave tremendous scar tissue, trauma, self-esteem issues, because it all is internalized in how one feels about oneself by the messages that one receives. Yeah, no, it's so eloquently said. And, and you know, it, it's, it's really interesting because, you know, with, with this discovery, I mean, one of the things I was going to say is, my hands are out and whatever, but my feet aren't, they're in shoes often. Mm -hmm. And so I've always likened my feet as sort of this invisible difference and why, and I know it's not the same, but the reason it's a little bit the same is I know how much harder it is for, you know, in the summertime, you know, taking my shoes off, um, to go to the pool or the beach or something like that. And just, you know, to your point in the description of, um, if someone has dyslexia or some something that's invisible, I mean, I, I someone was uh, engaged in something a program our nonprofit did, and their child has epilepsy, and they had never shared it, and and so the, you know, how hard it is to do the reveal, and and part of that, the reason it's so hard is because, you know, you want to be able to trust people with their reaction of the reveal. And the the reality that I've learned is you can only trust yourself, you can only control yourself, and you've got to let go of the need to be able to have, yes, you want to trust the safe people around you and communities, and there are safe people that you want to trust. I'm not saying there's no one you can trust. There mm -hmm. are people you can trust. But for the sort of external, like think about like those people, the safe people, the family and everything, they're the first circle. And then there's the outer rings. And mm -hmm. in the outer rings, especially in an invisible difference, you know, you, it's so hard to do that reveal. And you so much want to control how they're going to react. And because you mm -hmm. can't, maybe you don't want to reveal. And, mm -hmm. and so it's really that sort of outer ring I always think about in terms of understanding and even best understanding our daughter who has ADHD too. Mm -hmm. Meg, you just gave me a memory that I haven't thought about in a few decades, and that's in graduate school. Small class. There might have been six, eight of us maybe in the small room with our professor, and she goes into a full seizure. And it was very traumatic for us experiencing it, not knowing what to do. Um, she came wow. through when she was fine after, and it took her a while to come back to herself. She shared with us, I have epilepsy. And over the years, I've always struggled with whether to tell my students in advance 
or just to see if I do have a seizure because often I don't. And I find that when I tell people in advance, they can often be uncomfortable waiting for something to happen that never happens. She's like, so I've always been conflicted. And I think it just speaks to totally. the reveal of what's your, you know, this dilemma. Yeah. It, yeah. It's a real, it's a mm-hmm. real d- dilemma. Mm-hmm. And depending on the, you know, if they're, uh, and I, I talk about this in an example in, in the book too of, you know, it, and it's really hard because for little kids, um, you know, if you deliver that news or pre-warn, kids become really afraid. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I had a, a, a someone who was a relative who pre-warned their son about me, not because they were trying to be cruel about anything. It was the opposite. They wanted to save embarrassment for everyone. And, and they figured that if they tell their son about me, then everything is going to be um, better and they'll be anticipating, they'll see me and then we can move on. But the opposite happened. You know, when you say, oh, your cousin's coming, she has one finger and, you know, then their reaction, I just say that I draw the comparison of sometimes it's really sort of the age grouping that we really think about, you know, Mm -hmm. like that you were saying that's graduate school. I mean, my view is, is, you know, to be very open about it and say, here's the deal. It may never happen. I mean, you saw it because thank you for reading my book, but I do a lot of forecasting in the book <laughs> and, and sort of put people into categories, maybe. Yes, yes. You, have, you have great <laughs> categories of of different types of people and responses. Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, but I say that to say, you know, to me, like the best thing to do is, especially when you're talking about essentially you know, adults or young adults, um, they can handle it, arm them with information, right. tell them, forecast it, what might happen and what might not happen. And, and most importantly, that you're okay with it because mm-hmm. people, people take, you know, so to me, not that that, you know, matters, but if the teacher would have started with that and said, Hey, come and ask me anything after class, right. send me an email or nothing like that puts. So when it happens, you guys would have been you know, uh, just really, really equipped to sort of support her in the way and also not judge her because you're following right. her lead, right. you know? Right. And without That's judging my, her, right. Her <laughs> right. It would, so in hindsight, it would have been really helpful to know that. And I think yeah. that we probably would have been fine with it. Maybe a second grade class, you might handle that differently, but exactly. yeah, that would have been really good to know. But, but I'm, I, I'm uh, sorry, I'll say, yeah. But who am I to, I mean, that's a struggle to do that. Oh, so it I make it right. sound so easy and it's a lifetime of my evolving to get there. So I can yes. say that, but that's, a, yeah. that is unfair. I mean, I want to recognize that because she was struggling and I understand yeah, that. Total fair. dilemma. And yeah. again, it, it just speaks to, it, it speaks to what we're talking about. And it's, yeah. and, um, and over time though, you know, you've come to realize don't hide anything and don't teach your kids to hide anything. And now you're impacting so many hundreds and thousands of kids um, in your programs to say like, don't hide it. Like you are unique and special. And so, okay. So I've got to go to the words because I keep (laughs) forecasting without getting there. Okay. Disability (laughs) indifference. Okay. I I struggle with that. Um, When to use which term for what purpose yeah. Um, they both have different meanings and connotations. And so what yeah. is your take on difference versus disability and when we use them? Yeah. And, and, and I do cover it in a, purposely in a section and yeah. right up front in the book. You know, what's funny. I'll, t- I'll tell you a little secret. The book was originally going to be called Born Different. And my editor was like, you know what? 
do we do we think that covers everybody? Will everyone recognize? You know, what if it's born with a disability? And I'm like, no. And then we we kind of evolved to the sort of born extraordinary because because that really is the better the better word the better description, um, quite frankly. But then it it goes on to the the differences in disabilities. So throughout the book, I do regard myself and my children as different, but I felt like. I the last thing I wanted to do was um, uh, make people feel like I'm trying to lead the charge in using this label as if everyone should use the same label, which I do not mm-hmm. believe. Um, mm-hmm. I guess what I I have to say is, you know, those great parents of mine really raised me to feel so so much more than less than, and m- growing up that that term it was not necessarily you know it was used in a way growing up right when you know and and we can evolve through you know the ADA and all the great things that that legislation has done mm-hmm. um but i couldn't i never wanted to have any label where i felt less than and i felt really strongly about that and then i was kind of conflicted because there's some really incredible people um of all ages older younger that they you know, fly the flag of disability pride and they love yeah. that word and they embrace it. And quite frankly, right. they might resent me for not using it. So, Hey, yeah. um, but, um, but so, so the, you know, uh, the window into this was I, I did figure out that, you know, in the common vernacular, you know, there's the term is used still and, you know, Oh, watch out. Your day's going to be ruined. There's a disabled vehicle in the road and therefore no one's going to get past things. And, and so I, I really do wish that would change. Um, so I, I guess at the end of the day, in terms of how I feel about it, I really don't think it matters. I mean, if now I'm much more comfortable, if someone says, Meg Zucker is speaking. I'm speaking actually tomorrow night. And it's like, she's going to speak about her experience with disability. I'm like, all right. You know, I, I don't really care anymore because what matters is um, my just gratitude and having the mm. opportunity to share my life story, both as a person that's different, who literally physically, you know, gave birth to my difference mm-hmm. and and share my insights and how I describe myself or how others describe me. It doesn't matter. It doesn't. Yeah. It's more yeah. about moving the needle. Nice. Nice. And uh, for our listeners, you know, we've talked about this when it comes up on the shows. Um, there's just language that disabilities get your kids services in school and get you insurance uh, reimbursement and differences don't. And so we always like, it's like, how do we use these words? So they're affirming and they work for us, but be very mindful about how we're using and not just throwing them around. You know, can I tell you one quick thing? Um, Someone sent me an an article and it was, um, it was an article interviewing about 10 people just the other day about 10 people who had differing disabilities or differences or whatever you want to call it. But I guess we'll call it disabilities because right up front, the interviewer who did a great job, but she said, I just want to start out with saying, are you all comfortable? And someone in a wheelchair, someone was blind, blind, not Mm -hmm. blind, blind. Um, And are you all comfortable with being, you know, my using the word disabled? And everyone said, yes. And so someone asked me, what did you think of the article? I said, it was a very special, thoughtful article. My only thing is because that topic is so interesting, it would have been maybe a little bit better to find some other people who regarded themselves with different, you know, some people differently able, different, Mm -hmm. disabled. Mm -hmm. 
it might have been interesting to have more of a collective discussion rather than just say, hey, do you are you okay with this label and then move on? Because mm-hmm. I think I think yeah. people that do regard themselves as uh, as that um, or whatever they are, it could have been a nice little, yeah. you know, educational moment. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm sorry. I'm sure you no, want to. No, this is great. I, this is great. <laughs> and uh, so I want to go to the, the other, my only other thing about words, because this is kind of funny as I was re- as, as I'm reading your book and I'm, and I'm getting ready for these shows, I'm, I'm imagining, you know, I'm ingesting the content and I'm imagining how I'm, I'm feeling about the content, how I feel about, um, the guest, the author, and like, I'm thinking about things I want to talk about and say, and, Literally in my mind, I'm thinking, gosh, Meg is so inspirational just as I get to the part where you write about that. And it's like, wait a second. No, inspirational can be disempowering. And it's really, so now I'm going to say to you instead, Meg, I'm like, you are so empowering. Uh, <laughs> well, but, that, but, the, but there is something to these words that I hadn't considered coming from my place. And I, so I think it's important for you to share how that word of inspirational is not always taken the way that many, you know, why empowering feels different to you. Yeah. So, so thank you so much. I love the question. Um, I think I'm going to take us back to that um, m- mentioning of pity, mm-hmm. right? So although it's not always the case, but if you are in, you know, living in my shoes and, um, you know, all you want to be is just, again, living in your own version of normal, you know, capable of anything within your means. Um, and someone is like, oh my gosh, you're so inspirational. Then that word makes me feel like, wait a minute, that means that they look at me as if I am less than. So mm-hmm. that you know, now in the book, I'm careful because as a parent, I start to realize that um, sometimes we have to swallow that pride and accept it. Why? Maybe not because we need to be, um, you know, maybe because we don't feel like we're so inspiring. But if we are, it you know, if that motivates someone else to be the best version of themselves, then I don't care. Again, the labels don't matter. Mm -hmm. So I had to evolve, you know, so Mm -hmm. I don't, so I know not, you know, there's definitely people in the sort of disability disability world that don't like that. Some people do, it just depends. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's something that is glossed over a lot and used a lot. Mm -hmm. And I love that we're talking about it because I think at the end of the day, it just demonstrates the complexity of someone who's living in my skin or, you know, the, my children's where, you know, the words that you think you intentionally are trying to be kind, supportive, everything, it's not always as easy as that. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's, you know, to me, it's, it's always just, avoiding labels and being more specific. Yes. Oh my gosh. I love that, you know, you bowl with one finger, like who needs three holes? Mm-hmm. You can do it with one hole, something like that. Mm-hmm. Instead of saying, Egg, it's so inspirational to me that you can bowl. Do right. you see the difference? Yes. That's yes. the difference. Right. So the more you can be specific about compliments, that's what we do to anybody else. Why wouldn't we just do that anyway? Yes. Okay. So that message for all of us is... We just have to be really mindful that in our good intentions to 
to prop someone up, even in an authentic way. We have to be really careful it doesn't come up from a place of you're actually needing to be propped up or you are less than, and that's why we're giving this to you. You're coming from a place of equality and highlighting something that is moving you about this person specifically. Precisely. Awesome. Okay, so you in the book has is just loaded with ways to teach resilience, teach acceptance, a child um, with a difference to accept oneself, um, your kids, other people that you you mention in the book. There's so much in there that you guys all have to go and read and ingest. If you could distill just one or two of like the main the main driving like themes that you have come to learn as a parent um and in your work for our listeners about how to how to raise that self-esteem and that self-acceptance with our kids that have differences um yeah i mean so I think that uh, sometimes I'm like, I think my favorite chapter is chapter one because <laughs> it's about, it's really about the parent first and it's working on the parent thinking yep. about themselves and reflecting before we even transition to, okay, how are we going to be a parent to our child that has some type of visible or invisible difference or disability or so forth? Um, so I talk about the fact about my, you know, life's enemy is fear and that every misstep I've made has to do with fear. And so, um, and in fear in, uh, causing me to be overprotective fear in trying to, um, presume make assumptions because they may not in fact end up spending time fear about whether they're going to have a friend, you know? So I would say that's the first, the first thing, and that, you know, just, just mm -hmm. doing everything you can possibly do to, um, resist fearful parenting. Mm -hmm. And if you can resist it, you're actually so you're like 75% there, you yep. know what I mean? Yep. And, and uh, truly, um, and then the, uh, a kind of tied to that is, and you'll see the quote, my favorite quote, um, from, uh, someone who was my mentor who, who passed away uh, a while back, what you think of me is none of my business. I love and that quote. So, yeah. Oh my gosh. And, and I wish it was mine, but I just, mm -hmm. her. <laughs> but I, I have embraced it for years. And so that's the sort of second element, mm -hmm. like no fear-based uh, parenting. And also tied to that is just the notion that there and 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 I pass it along to my kids and the kid version is what I don't care what you think about me but mm -hmm. really really deciding and determining you know what why is it that we care so much about what other people think and I go yeah. into that and explore that a lot in the book because once you relinquish that mm -hmm. you know talk about empowered that's yes. when you're yes. empowered as a parent and your children become empowered uh, totally empowered. totally and I'm going to read a quote from you here, which I think is aligned with everything you just said. As I've followed my own parents, let go and let live philosophy, I've felt immensely thankful to witness my children's accomplishments, which have exceeded even my own expectations. And it is undeniable that the more I resisted the urge to overprotect, the more they blossomed. The inverse is also true. 
The more I unnecessarily intervened, the more I stifled their progress and the more they even regressed. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That deserved that let go and let live deserved an entire chapter. Yes. (laughs) Yes. We all need to listen to that. Let go and let live. And again, I love what other people think about me is none of my business. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. What you think of me is none of my business. Oh my gosh. What an incredible mantra. I guess I'll, I'll use it that way. It is. Okay. So as we are winding down here, tell us about the work of Don't Hide It flaunt it. Oh, absolutely. So um, that started just to say, I started it when Ethan uh, was in first grade and he was bullied on the playground um, by a bunch of kids. And, you know, without going into long sort of details of the whole experience, it really, you know, the, the principal had asked me to come and speak to faculty asking me, isn't there anyone um, or can help us teach and support a child like your son who's different. So the work of Don't Hide It, Flaunt It really was intended to do two things. One, help to empower children like my son, who people look at, take one look at him or my son, our sons, you know, and think um, they're a something instead of a someone mm. and really give them a voice. And so we do um, programming in schools that social emotional learning and empathy programming in schools, but beyond schools, I mean, boys and girls clubs and, and, you know, we're, we're a coalition member for, um, actually the Dole foundation for military families. I mean, we do a lot of different things. Um, but the other side to our programming to me is just as important because remember on that playground were the kids that were taunting our son, Ethan. Mm -hmm. And so the work of don't hide it flaunted is also to reach them. It really Mm -hmm. is for them to recognize we all, whether it's our family, ourselves, our family or or so forth, we all have our own version of one finger to hide something Mm -hmm. that we might feel Mm -hmm. ashamed about. And we need to tap into that because at the end of the day, what to me is the most important thing is, is that none of these kids are going to be able to look at each other and say, you're just like me. But what I want and our programming does and is to teach them We may not all have the ability to find kids just like ourselves, but we can connect even if we're completely different. You know, the nerdo, the sports talk, I'm nerdo, I say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a total nerd. Um, But it's so that kids can just connect because they realize they can feel the same way. Yes. And once once we've tapped into that through our program, our, our programs that don't have it flaunted, um, it's just incredible. And I'm so grateful for, you know, not only fi- founding the organization, but that it's much bigger than than mm-hmm. our my family's story. Wonderful. And at the end you would tell people where to find find the program uh, and oh, this work. Yep. Okay. It's time for the parent footprint moment question. Here we go. Okay. Tell us about a time that you became aware of yourself as an individual, a parent, or even an awareness of your own parents, and that new awareness had a positive impact on your life, your kids, and or those you love. Uh, gosh, there's a lot. Um, I would say it was uh, it, as a parent of Ethan when he was a baby, um, and I was walking in a stroller with him and it was, it was born in June at the end of June. So it was probably July. It was really hot out. And I had 
covered up my arms um, with uh, like a sweater and I had him covered up because I'm like, I just don't want to feel like people are staring at us, like back off my baby, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. You know? mm-hmm. And I just wasn't obviously in the same mental state that I am now. Mm-hmm. And Ethan was really uncomfortable and he started to cry and I had to like remove all this stuff. He just needed to be in his onesie because it was like 95 degrees out. And it was in that moment that someone walked by and stared, stared at him, stared at me. And then I was like, that person doesn't matter to me. Hmm. Why does this matter? They, you know, it, what is that Dr. Seuss, you know, people, people that, um, mind don't matter and people that matter don't mm, mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, one of my favorite quotes ever. Um, and so I think that sort of footprint moment was in that headspace and where I started finally paving the way towards my, towards my, um, strength, mental strength of being mm. supporting our and empowering our own children. Fingers out, right? <laughs> Fingers <laughs> out. Yes. Out. Yes. And I also just um, love for everyone when you do read the book, like your, your kids are so wise. I mean, as a result of who they are raised by you and your husband, I mean, you know, they're the greatest teachers as well. Right. I mean, just such wisdom that comes Thank out you of their mouth. I really uh, mouth. appreciate it. Thank you. Wow. We could go on and on and on and on. Um, I only scratched the surface of all of my notes and things we want to talk about. So maybe we need to do a round two at some point. Um, <laughs> Love I um, just so excited that your book is um, your book is will be out when this show is launching yeah. and um, tell yeah. everyone where they can get your book, uh, look at the work of the, your nonprofit and everything else related. Yeah. So um, my author website is pretty easy because it's just megzucker.com one word. So if you go to megzucker.com, it'll bring up, you know, how to buy the book, more information about appearances, things that I've done. Um, you know, I've been a writer for a long time. So um, links to different types of things I've done in the media, whether it's print or TV or things like that. Um, but then uh, it also has a link to Don't Hide It, Flaunt It. And it's a mouthful because it's www.donthideitflauntit.com, which I think is harder. So if you go to megzucker.com, you're on my author website, it'll navigate you straight to uh, Don't just Hide It, click Flaunt the it. link. Then you just have to click a link, right? Just yeah. click a link and they'll yeah. get to it as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you for sharing yourself and your story and your work and mission and family with us. And I know that uh, our community definitely is benefiting. Oh, thank you for the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. All right, everyone. So share this show for all those that you know will benefit. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part of our community. Thank you for your five-star reviews. Do your very best to be that person you want your child to become and ask yourself that guiding question I ask myself each day, what footprint do you want to leave? This has been a Peters and Rossi production. Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan is produced by Laura Rossi. Our engineer is Phil Rossi. Theme music is Strummerman, composed and performed by Pro Tunes. Artwork is by Garrett Ross. 
Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Parent Footprint Podcast and on Twitter at Dr. Dan Peters. For more information, go to exactlyrightmedia.com. Follow Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show.